what is this all about? Applying tactical empathy with success. How are these four hostage negotiators going to explain what it is that they did in their world so that I understand how it fits in my world? Um, what is it that we do or did? Our job was to engage another person in a highly emotive state, de-escalate de those emotions and return them to a normal functioning level in order to influence their surrender. And we got to be pretty good at it. Our success rate, at least here in the States, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 93%. That is to say, 93% of the time that we get called out, we're able to influence the person whom we're dealing with to surrender. And I would ask that you compare and contrast that to your ability or your success rate, I should say, at influencing other people into doing what you need them to do. The best of you on this call are probably successful around 35 to 40% of the time. I, I, was, I was shocked to know that in some circles, a 1% a conversion or success rate was considered acceptable. Those of you who are familiar with Jordan Belfort know that he is the wolf of Wall Street. And he would, he wrote in his book, The Way of the Wolf, that he would provide his salespeople with 200 leads. He expected them to qualify 10 and close one. And that just kind of blew me away. But why the disparity? If hostage negotiators are around 93% and you're around 40%, why is there a disparity in those numbers? Is it because Marcella, Roger, Sandy, Troy, and I are smarter than everybody else? And the answer to that question is no. The answer to the question lies in our appreciation of the human nature response, which dictates a couple of things. Number one, negative emotions and dynamics drive decision-making and drive behavior. There's no two ways about it. And the other is your voice causes an emotional impact on the part of the person receiving your message. It can be large or small, it can be positive or negative, but it is nonetheless there. And once you understand those two concepts, once you get your head around those things, once you learn how to navigate the concept, looking through those two prisms, people become predictable. You can start to predict what they're going to say and how they're going to act. And by using these skills that have been tested and proven across the world, think about what that would mean to your business, to your life, if you were to increase your ability to influence other people by 50% or more. That's what we're pursuing 
over the next two months. Changing the way you think about communicating one person to another. Not a huge change, just a one degree shift in the way you think about communicating one person to another. Now, what's going to get in your way? These skills are counterintuitive. You're going to think to yourself, this is awkward. This is stupid. Um, this may have worked with you because in hostage negotiations, it's a, it's a one and done transaction where you have to be concerned about future relationships. You're going to think that all of us have retired and we're partaking in their legal substances that we couldn't partake in while we were sworn and we just sit around smoking dope and thinking this stuff up. We're snake oil salesmen. You're going to say to yourself, I cannot imagine those words coming out of my mouth. You're going to think about the last time that you were in a difficult conversation or negotiation and what the response would have been from your counterpart if you executed any of the skills that we are going to talk about. You're going to get those, those feelings. The silver lining. Um, the silver lining of the awkwardness, I should say, is that within awkwardness lies accelerated learning. You learn better when you're awkward because you have to focus. And what we're going to be talking about over the next eight weeks is tantamount to you learning a new language. Those of you who are fluent or at least proficient in a language other than your native tongue, Think about what you felt like when you started to learn. After a week of learning that language, I would not expect you to perform very well if I took you and dropped you into a community where that was the predominant language. Fast forward six months, you'd feel a little bit better. It's the same way with the Black Swan method. It's tantamount to learning a new language. Now, some of you are still maybe struggling. Yeah, I get it. But I still don't see how it's going to relate to the business world. Well, at the end of the day, regardless of your space, you guys are compliance professionals. You provide a good or a service and you try to get people to comply. I.e. to buy. Troy, Sandy, Roger, Marcella, and I are the ultimate compliance professionals on the planet because all of us sold jail time and all of us got people to buy it all of the time. And so in the most extreme circumstances, when the motions are highest, when the stakes are the highest, we found that the skills work regardless of ethnicity, regardless of gender, race, creed, or color. It's not by accident that hostage negotiators in Japan, India, Africa, Middle East, North America, South America, Europe, they're all trained in the same skill set. So we know it works regardless of the circumstances. Why? Because everything that we do is based on that human nature response. So whether you're talking about 
mergers and acquisitions, you're talking about contract negotiations, you're talking about negotiating for a salary increase, you're talking about negotiating with your 17 year old about getting off her tail and making a decision about what college she wants to go to. The skills work. The biggest hurdle, as I mentioned, is going to be the awkwardness. The awkwardness is going to make you uncomfortable. When you are uncomfortable, what you want to do faster than anything else is to get comfortable again. And that's going to result in you reverting back to bad habits, old habits. The way you minimize, reduce, and and eventually eliminate that awkwardness is by going out and road testing this stuff. We're going to give you various assignments over the next eight weeks where you're going to be expected to go out and road test it. Don't you don't leave any of these sessions believing this stuff works simply because we said so. You have to go out and apply it yourself. See for yourself. Once you use it and you get the desired result, it's going to be like you seeing the unicorn for the first time. You're not going to be able to wait to see it again. Repetitions, repetitions, repetitions. 64 to 67 repetitions is what it takes for you to develop a new habit. And it starts right now. The awkwardness comes from your brain telling you there is no neural pathway yet developed for the skill that you're asking me to use. How do you develop that neural pathway? The only way to do it is practice, practice, practice. We are going to intentionally make you uncomfortable. We're going to intentionally put you in a box. We're intentionally going to restrict your movement as it pertains to the execution of the skills. And we're doing it for a specific reason. We want you to get the fundamentals down first. Once you get the basics down first, Then as we move through the content, we'll allow you a little bit more leeway, a little bit more latitude to start experimenting. But initially, we're going to keep you in that box and make you work the skills just as we say it. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair. You get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. Let's talk about the fallacy of common ground for a moment. And let's talk about the kidnapping that I mentioned earlier. The first kidnapping I worked in the Philippines. Now, this is an American who's overseas doing something he shouldn't do. Now, he thinks he's got common ground going. He's an American, but he's living in the Philippines. So he's got literal common ground. He's there in the country. He also thinks it's a largely Muslim area because he's in the south of the Philippines. And he's a Muslim, so I got more common ground. We got religious common ground. He's dedicated to Islam. As a matter of fact, his understanding of the religion is in-depth. He studied it in school. And those of you that either are Muslim or familiar with the Muslim religion, you know one of the many things to be admired about the religion is it prizes scholarship highly. It prizes knowledge of the religion. And Jeffrey has an in-depth knowledge of the religion, so he's got more common ground. And he's in love with a local female. Look at this. I'm not exploiting a local female. I'm actually in love with her and I've married her. That's common ground. So therefore, I know where the local terrorist group, the Abu Sayyaf, is coming from. I'm a good guy. I'm on your side. But it's I-focused. 
again, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about you. Empathy is not about you. How do they see you? They see him as a stupid American. Things he can take up with one of our women, which is highly offensive. It's not common ground. He's telling us what our religion is. We don't care if he's right. When was the last time somebody came into your house and started to explain your religion to you? Did you care that they were right? Simultaneously, compensation. There was a recent kidnapping in the area where a rival faction of this terrorist group got $20 million for the release of 20 Western European hostages. So at the end of the day, compensation plays a role. An American overseas doing something stupid. This is a sociopath that has him. The question I often get or the one that I like to throw out is, does empathy work on sociopaths? Well, this guy is a sociopath. He's got on his uniform. Sunglasses, black bandana, black t-shirt, camel pants, 45 strapped to his side, 45 caliber automatic handgun strapped to his side of his camouflage pants. He thinks this makes him look daring and dashing. He doesn't have on sunglasses because it's sunny in the south of the Philippines. It is, but he's got them on because he thinks it makes him look more photogenic. And this is the negotiator that I'm coaching. Now we go through the negotiation for a period of months the terrorist is not asking for ransom for the release of the American. He's asking for war damages for 500 years of oppression in the south of the Philippines, from the Spanish to the Japanese to the Americans. Now, right now you're saying like, well, this is a one reason why hostage negotiation doesn't apply to me. Because I was never in a negotiation where the other side were bringing up things from the past that had nothing to do with me, that occurred to them before I ever showed up. In my business negotiations, people don't react like that. They don't bring baggage to the table. Oh, wait a minute. That happens at every negotiation. People bring their history of experience to the table, even history I had nothing to do with. So we finally decide after four months of a stalemate that we're gonna get a that's right out of the terrorist. So I coach my negotiator, today you get a that's right. He gets a terrorist on the phone. He says, you know, you're not asking for ransom for the American. You're asking for war damages for 500 years of oppression. And he goes on at length over the injustices that occurred and the things that the other side had experienced. It had nothing to do with the Americans or the American being held, but what they had experienced. And after going on at length over the other side's experience, he goes silent. He doesn't offer an argument in return. He just goes silent. And the kidnapper on the other end of the phone says, that's right. He summarizes the other side's facts, not our facts, but their facts and how they felt about the facts. And the kidnapper says, that's right. And the ransom demand goes away. It just goes away. Money is never mentioned again in the kidnapping. It takes several more twists and turns. And on Monday, Thursday, on the Thursday before Easter, the hostage walks away. The military flew down and picked him up. They held a big press conference in Manila announcing the rescue. We flew Schilling back, the American back to the United States. And I was back in the Philippines a couple of weeks later. I connected back up with the negotiator that I had coached. And he said, you're not going to believe who called me on the phone. I said, I don't know who called you on the phone the sociopathic terrorist. 
What did he say? He said, have you been promoted yet? I don't know what it was he said to me on the phone. I was going to kill the American. You're really good at what you should do, what you do. They should promote you. This is what the demonstration of understanding gets, ladies and gentlemen, because in that moment, the person who lost everything called the person on the phone responsible for it to congratulate him and let him know that he was still willing to talk to him. Despite everything that happened, he was still willing to talk and collaborate should they talk again. Everybody that you interact with should always be willing to talk with you because your brand is empathy. Your brand is understanding. That's what That's Right does when you begin to apply this to all of your interactions. People will always be willing to talk with you. Your brand is empathy. Your best self is relayed to others through the use of empathy. Another question that came from, uh, has been coming in it actually comes from a, a female, a woman, who has taken a new position. And she has mentioned that when she uses, well, first of all, start like this. She's been accused of saying, I'm sorry too much. And more specifically, she's been accused of saying, I'm sorry, when she uses no oriented questions, right? She says labels, mirrors, right? Some of the other stuff seems to work well, but every time I use an oriented question, Someone says, don't apologize, you apologize too much. And so being that this is a woman that's taking a new position and, and you are essentially head of our department as far as getting women, women acclimated and giving them uh, a, a new perspective to look at things from, what would you say to her? What advice would you give her in the same circumstance that she's in? Um, it it kind of depends. That's our sort of patented answer. But as a female, sometimes things that you say might be confused with apologies. You said no oriented questions. People are telling you you're apologizing too much. Um, be mindful of how you phrase things and be mindful of your tone. If you are too soft, you're going to come off as too emotional. If you're too assertive, you're going to come off as too harsh and you're going to get that label. It's really a fine line that a woman has to walk um, to be kind of considered in the right place by a lot of different people. And I'm going to jump in just to add some clarity to the question because this was okay. something that I missed when I threw it out there. Okay. The other thing she mentioned is she's getting this feedback from other female coworkers. So when she's in a workplace and she uses no oriented questions, she's got other female coworkers that come to her and the feedback she gets is don't apologize. You apologize too much. Quit apologizing. And so how does she how does she balance that, especially where the feedback is coming from? I, I got two cents to throw in after Sandy gets done. Too. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, women are the harshest critics of other women. And if I've learned nothing from this power hour, I found out that while women are always worried about dealing with assertive men at the workplace, it's other assertive women that are probably more dangerous. Um, a lot of women have the mindset that they have to go in and be tough and they have, they have to, you know, take no prisoners and go in there and, and stomp all over the place or they're going to be seen as too weak. Uh, so when they have a woman who doesn't feel the need to do that because they can express things with their words and they can use the black swan techniques and they can use tactical empathy, 
they look, they get looked down upon because these other women haven't found the secret yet. Um, when you use tactical empathy, it puts you in a place where you're not going to come off too emotional. You're not going to come off too assertive. You're going to come off as just this kind of regulated person. And it's, it's really hard to explain how that feels until like Derek says, go out and road test it because you'll see, and you'll see that your biggest critics that you're around are going to be other women because the mindset that a woman has going into the workplace is that they have to be this tough brick wall and that they can't really be a real human being. And you find by using these skills that you have a lot more power than you think you have just by using the tactical empathy. Don't let those other women get to you. Label the dynamic that you see. Um, it, it seems like you have a problem with the way I act. Let them tell you something else. There's something else going on there. It really has nothing to do with you for the most part. It's probably to do more on their end. And they don't really understand how you're being so successful and you're not being assertive or harsh like they are. So talk to them, label that dynamic, pull them in with you and, you know, give them a little, give them a little black swan technique you know, teaching there and let them, let them know what you're doing and let them see how it's working for you. But just be aware that most women are harsh toward other women, especially women that have found the secret of tactical empathy um, because these other women haven't found it yet. They can't find their niche. They don't know where they fit in. So they take it out on you instead of trying to figure out what's going on. And you can figure out where they're getting pressure from and what's happening on their side by labeling that dynamic to get more information from them. Yeah, and, and and Professor, you you can definitely jump in here in a minute, and I, I will just add one thing. You know, I don't think that this is just a, a woman-to-woman dynamic in the workplace, right? That tends to, that tends to be the, the subject matter of our, of our question here, but I think this applies, what you said, Sandy, applies anytime you're someone that's getting heat in the workplace, whether from the lateral piece or from above, applying exactly what Sandy is just talking about. Right. People are going to be so thrown off by your ability to execute empathy well that it, ain't going to, it might sound like an apology to them when you're actually doing a really good job asking a no oriented question. And so the interaction that takes place between you and that individual has to be handled and it's got to be handled very similar to exactly what Sandy just laid out. So, Professor, I'll throw it to you here. So I know you got some thoughts you want to throw in. Yeah, really to succeed, you got to willing to be be willing to be different. And, you know, the middle of the bell curve, if you will, where 80% of the people are, you're going to scare them. I mean, they're going to tell you you're doing it wrong. They're going to, if they're in the middle of the bell curve and 80% of them are, when you're doing something different, you know, their gut check is, oh my God, um, you can't succeed doing something different than me because that means I'm doing something wrong and I can't deal with that. You know, to, 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 to be a top performer is to be different. And initially it's scary and it's frightening. And then it starts to, it starts to be fun. Uh, and the, the particular fun for women, I can, I continue to love to discover the fun for women. Like I have gotten asked, and I'm sure the others have too, no shortage of time. Can I use this stuff uh, for picking up women? You know, so guys asking me, can they use the mirrors and labels and empathy for women? And finally, I get feedback just a couple of days ago from a woman who's losing labels and mirrors on the guys that are hitting on her 
So she can sort them out and decide who she likes and who she doesn't like. And she's just killing it. And so she started, has started using the mirrors and the labels with guys she doesn't particularly want to go out with just to see what happens. You know, your small stakes practice. And I'm hearing that these guys are confessing their love to her and she thought they were players. And now all of a sudden they're, they're, they're just killing themselves for her attention. And she's just gotten massively empowered by this stuff. So fellas, watch out because women are picking <laughs> this up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What is tactical empathy? So tactical empathy is applying emotional intelligence in a very calibrated way. That's why we say tactical empathy. If you think about the word tactical, it essentially means that you're aiming at something uh, beyond the immediate action. Okay. So beyond the label that you're using, beyond the mirror that you're using, you're aiming for, um, tactical empathy in the long run, which is going to help you achieve that trust-based influence. So when you're talking about what it is about tactical empathy that, that makes it important, it's essentially recognizing the perspective of the person across the table from you and actually vocalizing that perspective. So it's not enough just to recognize what the other side is seeing. It is important for you to actually vocalize it because you're not demonstrating the actual empathy until after you vocalized it. So if you think about a lot of people say um, your gut instinct um, or some people talk about, you know, that little voice in the back of your head, or when you're walking down the street and you feel the little hairs on the back of your neck kind of go up a little bit. If you pay attention to those things, those are where you're going to reach your intuition. Okay. Um, you have to learn how to trust your gut. In otherwise, in other words, to use this stuff, you use these skills, you have to have a little bit of trust in yourself to kind of allow yourself to recognize what's going on with the other side. You can't be afraid of it. Now, the reason trusting your influence, your intuition is why can I not talk today? Let me take another sip of coffee real quick. Let's see what we got going on here. Hmm. My words are just trying not to come out right. The reason it is so important to learn how to trust your intuition is because your conscious mind processes 40 bits of information per second your unconscious mind processes 20 million bits of information per second. So there's a big disparity in that number. 40 bits of information, not really that much. When you're talking about how many things your unconscious mind is picking up each second, you get a lot of information if you learn how to trust that, okay? All right. So a lot of people say, well, what's the difference? Isn't empathy the same as sympathy? No, they're not the same. Okay. Sympathy is when you're feeling what the other side is feeling. That's not what we're doing with empathy. Empathy is basically seeing the world through their eyes and then understanding it so well that you could summarize it for them. So I want you to remember as we go through here, it's not about being nice. It doesn't mean you agree with that other person. 
And it doesn't mean that you necessarily even like them, because if you think about the world that Troy and Barbara and I come from, we didn't like the people that we were dealing with. Okay. They were usually bad people. So there was no, there was no love there with those people. So it's not that you have to feel any kind of positive way toward the person that you're dealing with. You just have to be able to demonstrate an understanding of what's going on in their mind and then be able to kind of vocalize it and summarize it for them. Did you ever wonder what are the emotional intelligence secrets that FBI hostage negotiators use to get their way and whether or not they would do you any good in your business or personal negotiations? So after all, if there's a bank robbery with hostages, which I have negotiated, and there's four hostages, does the hostage negotiator say, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we meet in the middle and we'll call it a day? <laughs> you really can't compromise when you're a hostage negotiator, and that's, that's the way that I learn negotiation. So I'll, I'll take you through a little bit of how I got to learn it and how I began to apply it in my business and professional life. And it really started on a night in late winter in New York City, well after dark. I left the, the FBI office, 26 Federal Plaza, and fought my way through traffic to get to a suicide hotline. I was volunteering on the suicide hotline because I'd been told that that was the best way to become a hostage negotiator, the best experience. And as a side note, I will tell you, it's, a, it's the best way to learn how to really listen to people on an emotional intelligence perspective. So I got to the hotline that night, and I picked up the phone, and I answered the phone in my uh, hotline voice. Hello, this is Helpline. Which was the, came to be known as the late night FM DJ voice. <laughs> which now I refer to as the late-night FBI DJ voice. But the voice on the other end of the phone just blurted out. He says, I, I, need, I need your help. I need your help. i got to put a lid on this day. i got to bring a lid to this day. And I listened to him, and I, and I sensed that he was frantic. So that's exactly what I said. I said, you sound frantic. And immediately I could, I could feel a change in his tone of voice. And his voice came down, and I felt strength come into his voice. And he started to talk to me, and he began to tell me uh, his issue was that he was battling the disease of paranoia, and he was going to go on a car trip the next day with his family. And in, he knew that on that car trip, because of his paranoia, he would get completely wound up and, and overcome with the paranoia. So since it was going to happen the next day, that night he was overcome with paranoia, thinking about the paranoia for the next day. And it completely wrapped himself up and needed to put a lid on the day. So as we began to talk, uh, he began to tell me also about how much his family was helping him. And I used something that I'd, someone else had once said to me, and I remember how strong it was, because I was explaining to a colleague of mine how involved my family was and how supportive they were. And at that time, my colleague said to me, it sounds like your family's really close. And when he said that to me, I remember how good it felt and how it just drew together everything that I was feeling and how I felt myself strengthened when he said that. So I said to this, the same thing to this man on the phone. I said, it sounds like your family's really close. And he says, yeah, we are. And so then he began and he continued to talk and he talked and he began to tell me all the things that he was doing 
in order to battle the paranoia. And I was, I was very impressed with it. He sounded like a very determined man to me. So I said to him, you sound really determined. And he said, he said you know, I am determined. He said, you know, I'm going to go on that car trip tomorrow, and I'm going to be fine. Thanks for everything you did for me. And he hung up. <laughs> now, I said three things to him, just three simple things. And I didn't know it at the time. And I was explaining to a friend of mine at brunch just the other day. He was telling me he used to write for Hollywood. And he said, you know, what you're saying about what you do makes all the sense in the world. I never would have guessed what you were doing. But once you explain it, it makes all the sense in the world. It's like a great Hollywood ending. You have no idea what's coming at the end of a, of a movie, but when it happens, it makes sense. And that's what hostage negotiators do. And we do now do in business. We take things that you all know about, but we combine them in ways that make them incredibly powerful that no one ever sees. We are trying to accomplish a couple of things with the use of tactical empathy. First is to build and maintain relationships. This is the fastest way to build and maintain relationships. Um, there is a thought process out there. There are people that subscribe to the theory of common ground. Many people try to establish and maintain relationships with common ground. And I'm not here to tell you that common ground is not a... <laughs> I'm not here to tell you that common ground is a bad approach. There are many who have established relationships and made deals based on common ground. However, you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do if that's you? What are you going to do if there's no common ground? What have you got no common ground with the people that you're dealing with on the other side? What do you do then? This is where tactical empathy comes in. I don't need common ground. I had no common ground with anybody I ever talked to inside a crisis site who had taken hostages or were threatening to commit suicide or otherwise failing to surrender. Never had any common ground and yet was successful in influencing surrender in the majority of cases that were out there. Why is that? It's because common ground or not, tactical empathy is something that can be used in any interaction, business, personal or otherwise. Common ground is usually specific to the situation. And so just be careful with your use of common ground. Um, number one, you're, you're making an assumption if you use it. You're making an assumption that just because you have common ground with this other person, they're going to do what you need them to do. And for some people, that assumption is a dangerous one. Um, as a cop, when I was on the road and I would see a, a vehicle violate a traffic law and I light the person up and I pull them to the side of the road, it used to drive me crazy when the first thing that comes out of the window before I even approach the car is a badge. Now a badge is hanging out of the window of this violating vehicle. He is all or she has already made an assumption that just because we have common ground, i.e. we both carry badges, that I'm going to give them special dispensation. And usually it was the opposite.
when 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 you you've already made an assumption about what I intend to do based on the fact that we have common ground, I found it offensive. I had one guy. I pulled him over. As I'm approaching the car, there's a badge hanging out the window. It's a federal badge. I can see that as I'm approaching the car. And the badge, it said Special Agent Housing and Urban Development. And I said, that ain't going to cut it, bro. That ain't going to cut it. And so just be careful with the common ground. Um, because if it's not there, you're going to be in trouble. And number two, people often take offense at you suggesting that, oh, your son plays baseball, my son plays baseball. We should make a deal. Don't assume that that's always going to be the case. My, my question is, is something that you just said a little while ago, the issues with people who are in the half category and people who are in the elf. And just thinking about you have worked with and dealt with some of the most difficult half people in the world. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm thinking, of, you know, part of my question yesterday was dealing with the political divide in this country. And I'm wondering if you're, for example, you're in a, you're in a, uh, in a family or in a, your neighbor is a half, but you want to find some way where you have to work together for something that is going to benefit the entire building, let's say, or the entire community. Is there any, given your experience, is it at all possible to, how do, would you try and find a way to half the half, to move, you know, they're not going to be an elf, but you can't have them totally a half. What would you do? What do you do in those situations? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And so it's, all right, so what's your best chance of success? And, you know, I used to use that phrase all the time, best chance of success. I learned it I learned it from, you know, my boss, uh, one of my main mentors, Gary Nessner. He ran, ran a crisis negotiation unit when, when I first got there. And Gary used to always talk about best chance of success. And I repeated it over and over and over again. And then finally we had a kidnapping go bad and people get killed. And I was at the helm and... I said to myself, all right, so I guess best chance of success by definition means you're not always going to be successful. So the first thing you got to relieve yourself of is the needing to be always be successful. You know, in baseball, the bat a thousand or percentage wise to win 100 percent of the time. That is not possible. Now, what's my best chance of success? Hostage negotiators got a 93 percent success rate. Ninety three percent success rate. I don't know of any other profession with that high of a percentage success rate. I don't know any salespeople. Wolf of Wall Street in his book, The Way of the Wolf, he talked about having a 3% success rate. Hostage negotiators, tactical empathy, 93% success rate, which by definition means 7% of those people you are never going to get to an agreement with, no matter how much time you put in. So tactical empathy is still the answer, whether they're a neighbor, whether they're on the condo board, whether they're a family member. Expect it to take longer. Let it sink in. What we prescribe and a lot of people 
when you've got opposing arguments going on, a great way to interact with someone that you disagree with is to say, before I disagree with you, here's what I think your position is. You've done two things. You haven't lured them into thinking in any way, shape, or form that you don't have a counter point of view. Before I disagree. So they know that you're not in agreement. Here's what I think your position is. They're going to listen. You're going to get that sentence out. And then they're going to listen intently for where you're coming from. And that's going to start the transformation process. Now, is, is that process going to be sufficient? Even if it's 93% successful, which is a really high rate, 7% of the time it's not going to work. But it's your best chance of success. Tactical empathy is always your best chance of success. Do And let it, do not look for the instantaneous transformation that you will get in, in less adversarial conversations. One of our longtime students, customers, and I talk about this in the um, in my TED talk. He's in an argument with his sister, family member, family gathering. His younger sister is a primary caregiver for their ailing father, and the pressure on her is enormous. She's had too much to drink, and she starts in on him. And he said. He'd seen this happen before, and he realized it was just his turn. And all he wanted to do was make her feel heard and not disagree with anything. Make her feel heard. He said it went on for an hour before she finally ran out of gas. And then she just stopped. She just ran out of gas. Did not have, did not get a that's right out of her. Did not feel the oxytocin moment at all. Just was relieved that she was no longer beating on him. The next day, she sends him an email that said, Yesterday I attacked you and you showed me nothing but love. Thank you for being my big brother. Give him, give it a chance to sink in. Give it a chance to work as much as it possibly can and realize that you've done the best that you can. And it won't always work every time, but without trying it, it won't work at all. That's the best I can give you. <laughs> I hope you, you didn't hear all the moments when I'm like, oh, my God, wow, that is just truly beautiful. Truly beautiful, and 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 you could just, I could just feel how that can, because when you focus on really caring for somebody, that is the most beautiful thing you could do. Thank you. I I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, so listening to understand is what we're getting at here. Okay, listening is the most powerful tool in your toolbox. People don't realize that, but you don't get information if you're talking. So by itself, just listening to the other side can be persuasive because some people will go all day long, especially if they're at work and nobody listens to a thing that they say. So when you're in the negotiation with your counterpart and you're actually listening to what they have to say and you're labeling them and you're mirroring them and you're encouraging them to give you all kinds of information, they're feeling understood 
because in a negotiation, when you're trying to um, use tactical empathy, you should be seeking to understand the other side before you expect them to understand you. That's the whole big thing about it. You're showing deference to the other side. The other side is the most important. It's not about you. Nothing is about you. Um, and we're, you don't look for common ground, okay? We're not big pushers of common ground. It's not going to matter if your son and their son both play t-ball together. It's not going to get you to an agreement faster. It's going to be like a little, just a, oh, you, your son plays t-ball. My son plays t-ball. That's not going to make them like you any better, honestly. Yeah, you have something something in common. Psh, doesn't matter. They, they have that in common with a million other people whose kids play t-ball. So common ground really isn't going to get you anywhere if there's not any kind of empathy behind it. So what we say is listen to what they have to say. Don't comment about yourself. The way I like to play it is I label and mirror someone and try to get as much information as possible from the other side, giving away as little as possible from me. That's just a tool that I use that helps me get to tactical empathy. Because it's very easy, even, even for those of us that have been using the skills for a long time and we're, we're, we're pretty well versed in this, it's very easy to get caught up in a conversation and all of a sudden, a lot of your stuff is being insinuated into the conversation. And if you're having some kind of a negotiation with a counterpart, you don't want that, okay? You want information from them. That's how you find the black swans, encouraging the other side to talk. So you label, you mirror, you listen to what they say, which lets you get to a deeper label and a deeper mirror, or not a deeper mirror, a deeper, deeper label, which will potentially lead you to a black swan. That's how they get uncovered. Okay. The more you label, you get more information from the other side. That's when those unknown, unknown things are going to come out that will change the whole scope of the negotiation. You can't get that information if you're the one doing all the talking. Okay. You have to basically give the other side the, the, the chance to give you that information. Okay. So listening is how you do that. You just recently opened an art gallery and just started no, in business? I've had my business for 23 years. And you, and, and you deal with pushovers um, on a regular basis? <laughs> I deal with um, rich people. And, billionaires? Uh, billionaires, yes. And they I get also, used to getting their way? They do get their way. They they plow um, over everybody. Or and try you recently to. found a book. Your brother talked you into yes, it. Yes, I did. Thank God you listened to your brother because you didn't want to read the book. I've had, I'm, I'm fairly successful and I usually don't fairly have Fairly successful. Roadblocks. I think you're ridiculously successful, I had, right? Well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. I feel I'm lucky, but I had one situation that was really bothering me for, it was an over three years, an agreement that had just not been honored. And I was trying every which way in the ways I thought were natural to me to basically Fix push it. back, yeah. you know, and the tougher he got, the tougher I got. And we right. just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And he had dug his heels in and I was just basically punching the air for three years yeah and then i read the book yeah thought okay i'm gonna try it and yeah. there's no way it's gonna work but i'm gonna try it i'm gonna try <laughs> and literally within seven days i got a wire for seven hundred thousand dollars you are and, awesome um i was shocked Truly you were shocked. working on it for a year and you solved three it in years. seven three years three years solved I, in seven days this was outstanding this issue we couldn't come to a, a meeting of the mind like you were outstanding I was not willing to cave, which I think is a shock on the other side. Yeah. They're used to people just caving. And right. I'm not a caver, but I wasn't going to let it You grew go up away. in New York? You're yeah. from here? So you're a tough New York chick. 
kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you think you're in the art world, you're dealing with art that it's a very soft, lovely kind of, you know. That'd be tough, right? Commodities tough. dealers, commodities exchange, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the numbers are real and, and there's people that are affected if it's, uh, it's real money. You so, having fun here today? Yeah, it's great. Totally great. You, you. You're at one of our special master classes? So, is that what that says? It's I, a master class yeah. on tactical empathy. Well, that and I, you're having yeah. a good time. I was thrilled to We're see that place. you were coming. So. Thank you for coming today. We, we, yeah. we, we are grateful actually, that you were here. Actually, I need advice. I want to give this book to my sales team, but I'm afraid they'll use it on me. So how what do you, you think I have that? to deal with on a regular basis? Everybody in my, in my company uses it on me. We work together, though. It's for great collaboration. Yeah. The whole purpose is how do we create collaboration whether the other side wants to collaborate or not? Because we got to collaborate. So I have a negotiating approach, which is a win-win. If I win, I want everyone to win. Yeah. I have a lot of people that I do business with that they don't feel satisfied or that they've achieved anything unless there's a loser on the end of the deal. So they want to win or loser. So we, we let them feel that way. It's, okay. it's not what actually happened is how they felt about it. Okay. And we make yeah. people feel the way we, they want to feel to feel like they got a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. Which like in this situation, this guy feels like he really got one over on me, and I feel totally satisfied that I got the the 700 grand. <laughs> so, yeah, truly. Thank you. Yeah. Subscribe to the Black Swan Group's negotiation newsletter, which is free. doesn't cost you anything. I had a colleague of the FBI that used to like to say, if it's free, I'll take three. Here's how you subscribe to The Edge if you're in the United States. Send the text to, the number is 33777, that's 33777. The text message that you send is Black Swan Method, Black Swan Method 233777. Comes to your email inbox on Tuesday mornings when you're ready to rock and roll and get after the week.